Tonight we're going to continue our cross-culture series. Last week we sort of took a little bit of a break uh, from, from this series to do the relationship talk, which I hope was helpful to you in some way. Um, but tonight we're back to the, to the series and thinking through things that we struggle with and try to see them through the lens of the cross, things that we all struggle with. And uh, see them through the, the lens of the cross of Jesus Christ. We've already thought, thought about um, fear and anxiety and worry, um, which is probably the most prevalent uh, thing we struggle with, only mainly because it's a sin that goes on in your mind. Running a close second, we talked about the next week, which is gossip and slander, and that is a close second because only because we don't talk all the time. <laughs> Fear and anxiety and worry is something that plagues us even when our mouth is closed. But as soon as we open our mouth, a lot of times we sin with our words, and the predominant sin with our words is gossip and slander. And the week before the, the, the relationship talk, we talked about distraction and what a problem that is with our phones and especially. Uh, and tonight we're going to think about another huge issue that we all deal with, and that is bitterness and hurt and anger. Bitterness, hurt, and anger. Um, and this, this is a huge issue, and there is no way that we could say all that needs to be said about this in the few minutes that we have. I felt like in preparing for this, I felt like the, the deeper I got into it, I wasn't getting anywhere closer to the end of it. I felt, like, I felt like I was trying to swim to shore, and I was swimming furiously but never getting any closer to the shore. That's what I felt like in, in trying to think about this topic because it's just so enormous. Um, we, we can say a few things about it and begin to see it, hopefully, and to be honest about it with each other. Um, and, and be honest about it as those who are just to again, preface this whole series as, as those who hopefully are putting their hope and finding their, their identity in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Like, um, that's, what, that's, that's what this whole um, series is about, cross-culture. Christians ought to be a unique culture of their own, uh, made up of a group of people who, who, who have understood that God is a holy God and He made me and He's Lord over me. He made me in His image. That means He didn't just make me special, but He made me with a responsibility to be an image of His character in the world. And I have fallen very short of that. And I need saving from my sins. And I know that I cannot save myself. And I know that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life in my place and died my death and rose again from the dead in my place. And gave me the promise that I, if, if I would acknowledge my sins and turn away from my sins and put my faith in Jesus Christ and what He did for me, living for me, dying for me, rising again for me, that I could have all of my sins forgiven, all of them. And, 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 and it's for that reason that Christians who believe those things of all people ought to be a unique culture of people on all the face of the earth. Um, people who are humble about themselves, not arrogant people, 
Not prideful people, humble people. Because I know I'm a sinner. And I know I cannot save myself. People who are deeply grateful, not just humble, but deeply grateful that the Bible describes those who have acknowledged their sinners before God and turned away from their sins, asked forgiveness for their sins, put their hope in Jesus Christ, their Savior, who lived and died and rose again for them. The, people, the Bible describes the people who've done that, describes them as being in Christ, in Him, and being a new creation in Him. And, and as a result, not only we're humble about ourselves, but we're honest about ourselves too. Just honest about ourselves. Who am I trying to kid? Who am I trying to fool? In Christ, we are, the Bible teaches, we are as, and I say this every week, I don't care. In Christ, we are as fully accepted and loved and as righteous as Jesus is righteous. Because I'm in Him. And it's not my righteousness, it's His. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. And the more we are humbly honest about our sins and our struggles, the more that those, the power of those things the, weakens. And, uh, and, and it weakens because of sometimes, sometimes, especially with something like fear or anxiety or worry, sometimes just confessing that out loud to somebody else just gets it out of your head. And that can begin to weaken for that reason. But you have the prayer of your brothers and sisters in Christ, you have the, their accountability. Uh, and, 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 and not only that, the more we're honest about ourselves, the more Jesus Christ is magnified. Because when you look at me, you see a very honest sinner, and you, you see more of Jesus Christ when I'm a very honest sinner than when I wear a mask and fool you into thinking I'm a very righteous man. That's the whole point. And to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel of Jesus, every week we've recited together a question from the Heidelberg Catechism written around 500 years ago to instruct us in the faith. And I want to do that again tonight. And uh, the question in that catechism is, how are you right with God? And here is the answer that I want us to say together. Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments and of never having kept any of them. And even though I am still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is accept the gift of God with a believing heart. And I don't know all of you in this room. And I just, we do this every week because I'm very aware that there could be somebody in this room that has never done that. And I'm just, just there it is. It's written out right there. All you need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. And I hope you... You think about those things and accept them with a believing heart, even this night. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the, 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 the gospel. Thank you for the grace that you've given us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the grace and the favor that you've given us to even understand that we are sinners.
And that when the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, you have given us favor to go, yeah, that's, that's right, that's me. But only to bring us to healing in Jesus Christ. I pray tonight as we think about another struggle that we have, that we all have, you would give us favor again to think about it and be honest about it. And uh, Father, even though there's so much more that needs to be said about bitterness and hurt and anger, I pray that you would take the meager offerings that I have and multiply the bread. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, bitterness, hurt, and anger is what we want us to talk about. And there are two things that are true about that at the outset. And the first thing is that this is something that we're all well acquainted with. This is a sin and a struggle that we are all well acquainted with. It's something we all struggle with. Nobody, nobody in this room, nobody has lived a life so sheltered that they have escaped these struggles of bitterness and hurt and anger. And the second thing I would say about it is, one thing I've already alluded to, is these issues are so pervasive and so complicated that we can only begin to say a few introductory things about them tonight. Uh, but how do you even begin? This is, this is what I'm going to describe to you what I, felt, what I got myself into in this thing. I knew I wanted to talk about it, but Lord have mercy. So, how do you even begin? Because it's, it's hard because of how expansive the issue is. Because if you just take hurt, just take hurt, let alone bitterness and anger and anything, all the close cousins. If you just take hurt, Um, there are so many different kinds of hurt. There's physical hurt. I mean, if, if, if somebody has physically harmed you in some way, maybe recently or maybe in childhood, there's physical hurt. There is emotional hurt. Because of, say, the words or actions of somebody else that hurt you emotionally, deeply. We're going to talk about that a little bit. There's relational hurt. I mean, uh, that can be family relationships. Parents getting divorced. It could be your boyfriend breaking up with you. It could be any, any kind of relationship Friends just brings hurt. And sometimes the, the relational hurt is the harder kind because it's not just relational problem with somebody you don't even like. It hurts because it's usually between people that love each other. I think they do. Or people have struggled with spiritual hurt. Spiritual hurt. And what I mean by that, it, it, they might be hurt toward God. Might be hurt with God because of something that happened. 
and you don't understand why it happened. You're hurt with God. Or you're hurt, you, you've been spiritually hurt. That can happen not just toward God, but toward other people. If somebody who was like, a, for example, a major spiritual influence in your life, and they had a bad moral failure, and that kind of leaves you, I mean, hurt and disillusioned. It's the guy who taught me and baptized me and discipled me. And then, wait a minute. There's, I mean, and that's just a different, different ways we can we talk about hurt. We haven't even talked about anger or bitterness. And, uh, and even that, you can see how how far this thing spreads in our lives. It sprawls. And the same is true for anger. How do you tell the difference between righteous and unrighteous anger? How do you... And you have like anger, which is like a quick temper versus a long-term kind of anger. Or at what point does anger become a grudge or resentment? What is that exactly? And then certainly, when does it become bitterness? And what exactly is that? I mean, you could go in a thousand directions on this issue because it's such a massive one. But like I said, because of that, I don't have to convince you that you struggle with it. And that you're dealing with it in some form or fashion in your life, maybe even right now. And you have before, at least, and the odds are good that you might be dealing with it right now. But scripture warns us um, against anger and bitterness. Um, for sure, so Proverbs 14, 17 says, A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Just a few verses later in Proverbs 14, verse 29, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Two chapters later, Proverbs 16, 32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Well, Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger. Basically, if you're quick-tempered, you're stupid. We're all stupid. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So the Proverbs, as you could probably expect, are just full of stuff on anger and hurt and bitterness. But the New Testament as well. Um, not sign on either. Turn, turn if you want, want to. Um, you know, it'll be on the screen, but if you want to look at it in your own Bible, Matthew chapter 5, most famously in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 21, Jesus said, uh, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your altar, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come quickly and offer your 
gift. Come to terms quickly. A little sneak preview. Why do you think Jesus has come to terms quickly? I think there's two reasons. One, because it's something that's standing between you and God, and that's not something you want to delay over. But also, anger never sits still. It always proceeds from bad to worse. So get at it quickly. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you were going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. That's Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. But Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. You see how many, be kind to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do you see how many different words there are for anger? Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, malice. You know something's a complicated issue when one, one word doesn't fit the whole, you know, the, that slip, one word is like the slipper that doesn't fit on Cinderella's foot. Man, you've got to have a bunch of different words to describe even what it is. Or finally, in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear Slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. So Scripture has a lot to say about it, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is not a a small issue. So I just want to say a few things about hurt and anger. I say, I don't let's talk bitterness because what I'm going to, what you find is bitterness is just the caboose of the long trail of anger. Um, A few things about hurt and anger and some of the directions that they can lead, but also come back in the end to the gospel and to the cross and help us to see this issue through that that lens. Let's start with anger toward God or hurt toward God. I've already said that there are several different kinds of hurt we could talk about, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, but instead of saying something about each of those, each of those kinds of hurt, because if I did, we'd be here all night, I want to say something more general that could be true of any one of them as it relates to God. If you're angry at God or hurt with God over something. Uh, and, 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 uh, what, what is it that could turn something in your life toward hurt and anger toward God? Uh, I'm going to step out on a limb and say a lot of the times we feel anger or hurt toward God. It's because you don't understand why. You don't understand why this or that happened to hurt you. Whatever it, whatever it was that happened... It hurts you. And you know that God is supposed to be sovereign. You know that God is supposed to be in control of things. 
So he's in control, and this happened to me, and I don't understand why he allowed this to happen to me that hurt me so badly. And so you're hurt over the circumstances, and you're hurt and angry toward God. But here's something to think about with that, just as a word of counsel. Um, because I've lived life long enough, and I've, I've been in gospel ministry long enough, and pastored, been a pastor of families who've had in, just incredible tragedy happen in their life. Uh, I, I think I've, in my own life and in counseling others, hopefully put a peg on something. Because I'm sure we've all felt that way, at least on some level at some point. Um, and it, in, the moment, in the moment of hurt, it seems justifiable to think that way. It seems because you're hurt. And God was supposed to be in control of this thing. I don't get it. It seems justifiable. And, I, and it turns into hurt or bitterness or anger toward God. And there's a, but here's the deal. There's an assumption behind it that should be noticed. There's an assumption behind that way of thinking. It assumes, it assumes that there is no possible good reason for that to have happened. Not, not any possible good reason. Or there is no possible good thing that could come out of it. Therefore, God was wrong to allow it. Because there is no good thing that could come out of it, no good reason. God did not intend good in this. God is in control. If you ever stay there, God's in control, but He didn't intend good in this thing because there is no good in this thing. No good that could come out of it. But the Scriptures clearly say you just clearly say in Psalm 145, for example, the Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. That's a good memory verse. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. Now, somebody who's hurting might say that and say, well, okay, Maybe God is righteous in all His ways, and maybe He is kind in all His works, but God didn't have anything to do with that. Until you ask the question, what are God's works? It says He's kind in all His works. What does the Bible say are His works? Ephesians 1.11 says, at the end of that verse, He works all things according to the counsel of His will. That's the, the, that's, the, that's the end of that verse. Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. God works all things according to the counsel of His will. He, all things are His works. And Psalm 145, 17 says, He is kind in all of them. 
So God works all things according to the counsel's will, but especially for the hurting, the promise is that there isn't a work that God is ever involved in that doesn't have kindness behind it. And good intentions. Know that. Know that. It is no, it is no comfort at all. When a tragedy strikes, it is no comfort at all. All to say God did not have anything to do with that. Because then you're left with the question, well, why not? Why did he choose to not have anything to do with that? And then you're still mad at him. Because you're thinking, well, he could have done something. Why didn't he? Why did he choose to stay away? That's no help at all to say God was not in control or God had nothing to do with that. It is a great comfort to know that God was in control of that. So that in your hurt, you know that God is still in control. And you can pray to Him and he can find, you can find help there. The deal is, we don't understand all of God's ways. But that doesn't mean we can accuse God of evil or accuse God of wrong. God often works against our expectations. Consider the first words of Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 says, Therefore, this is just a simple example here. Therefore, let us leave, think very carefully about what he's saying here. I know it's a, Hebrews is hard. He uses hard phrases and you're like, what does that mean? But you can get the gist of it. Just try to get the gist of what he's saying. There's a stunning phrase in it. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do, comma, if God permits. What? Let us leave the elementary stuff and go on to maturity in the faith? Is that not a good thing? Yes. But it says we'll do that if God permits. Why wouldn't God permit that? Well, I don't know. Because I'm not as smart as God. I don't know. But we can be sure it is for good reasons. One of the most lyrically, at least in my opinion, one of the most lyrically beautiful hymns ever written expresses this same Confidence. It was written by William Cooper. It looks like Cowper. C-O-W-P-E-R. William Cooper in England in 1774. Who was a man who struggled deeply with depression. He was deeply depressed. And it's called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Here's what he says. God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Think about that. From the, Here's a man who's just deep in dark depression. I mean, that's, that's, what he's, that's, that's how he's seeing the world. It's a storm. But God's there. He plants His footsteps in the sea and He rides upon the storm Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, 
He treasures up his bright designs and he works his sovereign will. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace, because behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. When we're hurt or we're angry with God about something, the answer is to go to the Scriptures and be reminded of his character, be reminded of his promises, and trust that remaining hurt or remaining angry with with God over something that in reality we don't fully understand is judging him by feeble sense. As that song says, when he is in fact giving us grace in the meantime, even to scan his work. And we'll understand it better when we see him face to face. I am okay. I'm okay with just not understanding why right now. Just because I don't understand why why right now does not mean I will never understand why. Trust and wait. Trust and wait. I hope that's a helpful word to some of you. But the bigger issue for most of us likely is hurt or anger toward each other. And this is the more constant struggle that we have. I want to say a word about hurt, and then I want to say a word about anger. So, hurt, then anger. Not all, let's talk about hurt, not all hurt affects us in the same way. This is another, the deeper I got into it, the harder I swim, I never got closer to the shore because when I got to hurt, I was like, oh, it's bigger than I thought it was. Because it dawned on me that not all hurt affects us in the same way. It can lead us down different paths. Um, one, One of two main roads. One, it can lead us to anger. That's the... It hurt, hurt, being hurt by another person can lead us to anger toward that person, which is something we'll talk about in a minute when we get to anger. But the other is that it can lead us to hyper self-focus. When you're hurt by somebody else, it can lead you to hyper self-focus and introspection and, at worst case, misplaced identity and self-worth. When you're hurt by somebody else, that's the direction. doesn't have anything to do with anger at all. It can just crush your self-worth. And you misplace who you are. You misplace your identity. What do I mean by that? Often when we're hurt by another person, it's because of something they said or they did to hurt us. Or that hurt us. They may not have intended it at all. But it did. What they said or what they did hurt me. And again, it could be something that happened years ago 
or it could be something that happened last week or today. But whatever it was that they said or whatever it was that they did, here's, here's the, this path that it goes down. We internalize it so much that rather than producing anger toward that person, it's almost like we come to think that what they said or did was right. And maybe they were saying something true about me that hurt me, but maybe they're right. And it can cause us to have a, a demeaning view of ourselves, a demeaning view of our self-worth. Um, what somebody, somebody might have not even said something mean-spirited, but joking with you, but it was a hurtful joke. And it touched a soft spot, and you might have said, well, they joke, they, they joke that way because there's something true about that, about me. We, we come to think that there must have been something in us to cause somebody else to do what they did or say what they said. And the hurt gets deeper and it gets worse. That's one way that it can go. It doesn't have anything to do with anger. It just goes with, it just, it just crushes you. The other way that it can go, though, is it leads to anger. At least it could lead to anger toward that person. And with regard to anger, Jerry Bridges helpfully said that no one or nothing causes us to anger. They are occasions for anger, but the cause of it comes from in our heart. Right? I can't blame my anger on what you did. You were the occasion that I got angry, but the anger came from within me. Anger is a choice in our own hearts. And that's worth thinking through. But in this case, the assumption, the assumption is that it has led you, some, whatever somebody did or said, that's led you to anger, you're angry now. And we need to realize that it's probably not a righteous anger for one. Whenever we're angry, just go ahead and hang it up. It's probably not righteous anger. Well, Jesus got angry. Yeah, you're not Jesus. And for two, like I said earlier, anger, anger all, almost always travels from bad to worse. Never sits still. Most of our anger is not righteous anger. Right, what is righteous anger? Righteous anger is anger that comes from a true and accurate perception of of evil in the world by God's standards. So, it is righteous, in principle, it's righteous to be angry at evil, to be angry at injustice, to be angry at murder, you name it. One man cheats on his wife. It is right to be angry at that man, in principle, because God is angry, you know? Those are all things that God himself is angry at, according to Scripture. But in practice, in principle, it's righteous. But in practice, though, we, even if we're angry at the right things, we sin in practice. We sin, because Even in those cases, because while in principle, it was right to be angry, in practice, we did the wrong thing with our anger. Does that make sense? Scripture says in 
For example, I mean, well, that's not hard to understand. I mean, you can be, in principle, right, angry at something that somebody should get angry about, but then go shoot that person. You send, you were angry for the right thing, but you did the wrong thing with your anger. You send in your anger. Scripture says in Romans 12, 17 through 19, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. That's hard. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Brothers, never avenge yourselves is hard if you don't believe God when he says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. But if you really do believe God, when he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, I will happily take a back seat. You know? Often we just do the wrong thing with our righteous anger. So sometimes our righteous anger becomes unrighteous anger. But the truth is, most of our anger toward people is not even in that category at all. We'd like to think it is, but it's not. And like I said, it almost always travels a road from bad to worst, quick Quick temper anger can turn into long-term anger. And long-term anger can turn into a grudge or resentment. And a grudge or resentment can turn into bitterness. That's the biblical road. And Hebrews 12, 15 says, Don't let a root of bitterness grow in your heart. Don't let a root of bitterness. That's Hebrews 12, 15. Hebrews 12, 15 says, a root of bitterness can cause you to miss out on the grace of God. And it will lead you to, to other pains and other trouble in your life. It will cause other people to stumble. It, why would your bitterness cause other people to stumble? Because we've already talked about slander. We can't shut up. We can't keep our mouth closed. You're bitter towards somebody, it comes spewing out of your mouth in, in slander. You cause other people to stumble. When anger grows to a grudge and resentment, that's just a stronger feeling of hostility toward a person. And you wouldn't mind if something bad happened to them. Let's just be honest. Been that mad. It doesn't have to be like you get hit by a car or something. But we actually have a word for that. They get their comeuppance. Their comeuppance. You ever heard that? Straight. That might be a southern word. I don't know. Their comeuppance. Do y'all really never heard that? Do y'all have grandparents at all? <laughs> Golly. You, Miss Millie, have you heard comeuppance? Somebody getting their comeuppance? <laughs> they get their comeuppance. Sometimes they get what they deserve. You know what I'm saying? Somebody just mad at somebody and something bad happens to me. Like, it serves that guy right. You know what I'm saying? And we, find, we kind of simply find some kind of sinister satisfaction in that. Mercy toward that person is not having much say in our heart in that moment. When we're holding a grudge and we're resentful. But when it moves to bitterness, when anger moves from a grudge or resentment to bitterness, that's, a, that's really a stage of our heart where we 
we have we have just we have no desire for forgiveness none no desire for forgiveness under any circumstances there isn't any desire for reconciliation none and although it's not like and all those now, all those hostile feelings you had at the grudge and resentment level, they haven't gone anywhere. They've just gotten stronger. And that can eat you alive. I'm just going to tell you. Ain't that kind of anger and that kind of bitterness that you don't ever talk about, you, you don't see anything wrong with it. You'll never confess it to anybody else because you don't feel like you need to. It will eat you alive. Please, just take my word for it. The, and here's another thing. Though it, it, it can, um, inflict pain on the other person, because if you're bitter towards somebody, very often you're slandering that person, and that slander can negatively affect that person you're mad at. But a lot of times, if you haven't said anything to anybody, you're just seething. It will do absolutely nothing to the person you're bitter at, and it will kill you. You are the one who suffers from anger and bitterness, and all the while, the, per- the, 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 the person who sinned against you is, is, is skipping down the street And you're sinning against God because it's an unrighteous anger. Listen to how David, King David in the Old Testament, listen to how David talks about the sin that he held on to. Well, I don't know what sin it was, but you could easily put in this, like whatever sin he's talking about was anger and bitterness because it would fit in with any other sin. Here's what he said when he held on to sin in his heart. He says in Psalm 32, Psalm 32, beginning in verse 2, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, what is, what, wait, let's start, pause here. When I kept silent, silent about what? Silent about his sin. Just holding on to his sin in his heart. What happens? When I kept silent, what happened? My bones wasted away. Though through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. In other words, he came to his senses and he confessed it. And he said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's like night to day. But when he held on to this sin in his heart, he said, he said, my bones wasted away. And when he confessed his sin to the Lord, healing began. And, and very often, if you want to do what Jesus said, when you realize that's going on in your heart towards somebody, when you... Humble yourself and confess it to the Lord. That also probably means going to that person and seeking reconciliation. Paul said in that Romans 12 passage we looked at, 
so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And so far as it depends on you, you might need to big boy and big girl up and go talk to that person and say what you did or what you said hurt me or offended me and I'm angry at you and I don't want to be angry at you. I'm bitter toward you and I know that's wrong and I want to forgive you. Can we please talk about this? That's a very mature thing to do. Do it. Well, guys, I'm just going to be honest. There is so much more that we could say in describing the sin of, of hurt, of anger, of resentment, bitterness, and the causes of it. Um, what's going on in our hearts when these sins and struggles come up. But again, we'd be here all night. The fact is, we all struggle with these in different degrees for different individual reasons. But I need to wrap this up tonight by, by saying a quick word about how to see these things in the light of the cross. How do we see these, these struggles? Hurt and anger or bitterness? How do we see, how do we as Christians begin to see these sins and struggles in our life through the, through the lens of the cross. So let's, let's talk about hurt first. And there's two things I could say about hurt in reference to seeing it through the lens of the cross. Two things. One is, Jesus isn't just Lord over your hurt. He is with you in your hurt. He is with you in your hurt. How do I know he's with you in your hurt? Because he said in the Great Commission, I'm with you always. He's always with you. And I love the story. Oh, it's just, it's so beautiful. The story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. When Stephen is being stoned to death. Oh man, it's just, it's not on the screen, but if you want to, if you want to turn to it, it's in Acts chapter 7. If you just want to just listen, just listen. I don't care. I mean, just, sometimes you read, you just read the Bible and you just, sometimes you, read, you don't even pay attention to what you're reading. In Acts 7, Acts uh Stephen gave a long speech. By the way, I'm a big advocate of scripture memorization. You've heard me talk about it. So either whole books or whole chapters. We tell you, Acts 7 be a humdinger of a chapter to memorize. Because what he basically does is tell the whole Old Testament story in his speech. So if you memorize that one story, you've got a good grasp on the whole Old Testament story. Humdinger. All right. But he gave that speech. And in verse 54, just, it says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. 
And I just stop right there. Just read the Bible autobiographically. In other words, read it as if you were Stephen and imagine all those people surrounding you, enraged at you. And Luke couldn't find any other awful thing to describe it with other than they ground their teeth at him. But he, verse 55, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing. Standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Do you not know that every other time you hear about Jesus in reference to the right hand of the Father, what is he doing? He is sitting. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. But when Stephen is being stoned to death, Jesus stood to be with him. And he saw him. Jesus is not just Lord over your hurt. He's with you in your hurt. And Jesus already lived a life for you of total unjust suffering and hurt. The other thing about hurt, to seeing it through the light, light of the cross is that Christ giving, Christ giving His life for you, Jesus Christ giving His life for you, that is what you measure your worth by. You don't measure your worth or your outlook on yourself or your value you don't measure that by what any other human being who will one day stand before God has said or done to you or tried to define you in any way. Jesus Christ, God become man, giving His life for you that you might have His righteousness and live with Him for eternity, that's what defines your worth and your value. That's hurt. What about anger? And resentment? And bitterness? When you have been sinned against, that, and that's the occasion for your anger, and you don't know how to not let that rule your heart toward that person, the key is remind yourself of the gospel. Just remind yourself of the gospel. Because nobody... Nobody but nobody has sinned against you more than you have sinned against God. Nobody has sinned against you more than you have sinned against Christ. And while you were still His enemy, Christ loved you and gave Himself up for you. And that's why the New Testament talks about forgiveness when it does, it often uses phrases like forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's the model. And when you are aware of and real about your own sin, it helps you to be humble and forgiving toward the sins of others. And it's not like forgiveness is a one-time act either. 
There are some people in my life who have been in my life that I had to go through that every time I laid eyes on them. None of y'all. I like all of you. There's more to say, but I feel like I've said a ton, and at the same time I feel like I've said nothing at all. Because I know how huge this topic is and, and, and how many things you need to address. And I just want to say this. I, don't, I haven't done this for any other one. But for some reason, for this one, I feel like I need to. If, because I know, I know I just talked in generalities. And um, I did not really feel like I got to much really specific. I, got, I hit enough that you're, you should be aware of what's going on in your heart. And you can pray for each other. But if, if you have more questions, um, tomorrow... Um, I may get Maggie to make another little Google form and put it on the group me or something. And if you have questions uh, about something that about bitterness or hurt or anger that you didn't that I didn't talk about, um, you don't have to put your name on it or anything, but you could ask a very more specific question. Fill that, and then. Um, this talk will be on the podcast, but we might record an, an additional podcast like addressing whatever specific questions you had. And so if you cared to listen to that, we'll do it. So uh, just know that. But for now, a good place to start is just by being real with each other and confessing our struggles with each other and praying for each other. So let's do that for just a few minutes, about 10 minutes or so. And just break up, no group, groups, no more than five. It doesn't have to be all guys and all girls. It could be girls and guys together, I don't mind. Um, and y'all just take a few minutes to spread out and, and talk with each other and pray with each other.